This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Welcome to Elevate. We are here for one purpose and one purpose only. I know we're not in the lighthouse, so we're not going to be able to echo the walls, but I think we can still lift the roof off just a little bit. Are you ready for this? We are here to elevate Jesus. Oh, man, you sound beautiful. We are diving into God's word just a little bit up here. Woo. And then we are going to give you guys the opportunity to get together in your e-groups, and you're going to have a Bible study on your own. And so I'm only going to talk for a short time, and then I'll, I'll pass this off to your very adequate leaders. And you guys are going to dig into some scripture. You're going to look for the layers in it. You're going to look to see how God is glorified, how you can apply it. It's an opportunity for you to ask questions. Questions are the gateway to knowledge. The Lord is prepared for us to ask questions. We are supposed to love him with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our... Oh, y'all are with me tonight. Elevate! Yeah, y'all looking at your phones. All right, so are you ready to dive into God's Word just a little bit? And then I will give this back to you guys to go and dive in as deep as you want, as deep as you can take the group. We are in the middle of a series called Book of Books. We are looking about how we got the Bible. Can we trust it? and how to study it. We've been talking about the canon of Scripture. That is the list of books which Christianity everywhere recognizes as the words of God. The 66 books of both the Old and New Testament combined. And we genuinely believe that these are God's very words breathed out to us. 1 Peter one twenty one says that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The process of putting the Bible together, as we talked about the last three weeks, was a slow process. It was organic and it was handled with great scrutiny. And over the past three weeks, we talked about how God came as Jesus and he spoke the word. And then his apostles wrote down his word. And then the disciples, the apostles, the sub-apostolic fathers, to be fancy, they attested, they confirmed, yes, those were the words of Jesus given to us by the apostles. Then the early church fathers after them defended the word of God against heresy and defined it. Then the early fathers after them were the ones that canonized it and said, yes, these are the books of scripture that attest to the teachings of Jesus. Then the church rose in political power under Constantine and became sort of a world superpower and became very corrupt from the inside out. And it suppressed scripture. It stopped common people from being able to read it. And so the Reformation came. And Christianity came back to scripture. And they made it scripture accessible to everyone. And those are sort of the seven generations leading up to how we have the Bible in our language, in our hands. And it's a path spattered with blood. 
of the people that gave their lives for us to have the very word of God. So before we jump into tonight, there's sort of a funny story about a lady. Maybe you saw the same video that I did. She receives a pizza. And when she opens the box, it is nothing but baked bread. Have you all seen this video? Don't give it away if you've seen it. It's so wonderful. And she is like irate. She is hungry. She's hangry. And so she calls up Domino's and she wants to chew out a manager. And so she's like working her way up the chain. And she finally gets to the manager and she's like, I've got this pizza. There's no cheese. There's no pepperoni. There's no sauce. You sent me baked bread. I'm over here. I'm hungry. I need a refund. I want extra pizzas. Give me my money back. And the manager's like, hold on, slow down. So tell me, you said there's no pepperoni. There's no cheese. I've told you for four times now, there's nothing here. It's just baked bread. It's just, it's flatbread. What am I supposed to do with this? And the, and the manager of Domino says, hold on, hold on. I, I haven't seen any orders going out like that. I want to confirm what you're telling me. And the lady is like angry by now. And the Domino's manager, in some sort of moment of clairvoyance, says, okay, lady, this is what I'd like you to do. And she's so respectful. Miss, would you please close the box? And the lady, of course I'll close the box. I better have money in this box when I open it again. Ma'am, would you, would you put your hands on the top of the box and the bottom of the box? Yeah, well, I, I want my money back. And would you please turn the box over and open it again? And she opens it up, and it's like a magic trick. Oh, where'd this come from? My pizza. It had been upside down the whole time. Oh, welcome to the joke. Many times, whenever we approach the word of God, we open it wrong. We try to dive in and we're like, I'm not getting out of the, anything out of this. It doesn't make sense. It's all backwards and upside down. And it's because we've opened it wrong. And for the next few weeks, I want to spend some time on how do we have a Bible study where we actually can, can squeeze the rag of God's truth every drop that we can and get something out of it. How can we grow Every single time. And so we're going to be talking about that. And tonight is a one-point message. One thing that I want to communicate. We'll arrive there in a minute. First, I want to remember the point of God's word. The, The power of the Bible doesn't come from fancy sermons. It doesn't come from some sort of life skills. It doesn't come from great motivational sayings. The power of the Bible comes from Who is the author and what is the author's purpose? If you remove remove that, it's just a book. It's just ink. But if the author is God, sovereign creator over all creation, then it means something. And we need to ask, what is the purpose of this word of God? And it has two purposes. The first purpose is that it gives glory back to God. And that's it. If that, if that was the only purpose, that would be enough. It gives glory back to God. And yet God, out of his infinite grace and love for us, added a second purpose. And the second purpose is this. He reveals himself in Scripture so that we can know him. And according to Jesus in the book of John, knowing God is salvation. Not knowing like we know his name. Knowing him is in relationship, connection. So what are the two purposes of the Bible? Number one. That's right. It gives glory to God. And number two? Excellent. Thank you. Thank you that we would know him. 
So how does the Bible fulfill? We spent 16 weeks talking about who God was and the attributes of God. We spent the last five weeks talking about who the author of the Bible was. So I'm not going to cover that again. But how does God fulfill this second purpose? How does he reveal himself so that we can know him and have salvation? Well, I want to give you some context before we jump into the scripture portion, because the scripture is just dripping with meaning. And if I don't give you some context, you won't see how how cool this scripture is. So back in the Jewish day, God had them write down, actually God himself initially wrote the covenant. And it was a covenant at Sinai with Moses. Do you all know the story? They come out of Egypt. They surround the mountain. God gives them the covenant. Now, the problem is that they're full of sin. And they can't approach a God who is so holy that if what is unholy gets near what is holy, what is holy obliterates what is unholy. And so God establishes the covenant so that through this covenant, which by means is blood sacrifices, they would take an animal and this animal would be a substitute for their death because they deserve to die. We, for our sin, deserve to die. Go read Genesis 2 and 3. This animal would die as a substitute for them. And God established this covenant so they had a way of having their sins purified. Now, the animal did not purify their sins. It was God responding to their faith and obedience. That needs to be made clear. But through this covenant, they had a way to be purified so they could be with God. That's the goal. With God. Now, this covenant was a forerunner because it It was not a lasting thing. They would have to come every year for the Day of Atonement and have blood sacrifices given again. And if they sinned, they could come regularly with their animals and give sacrifices for their sin. Can you imagine, like, you're leaving the temple and you're like, whew, I'm good. And then you, I don't know, stub your toe and say something sinful. Or a girl walks by and you're like, ah, i got to go do this again. Can you imagine having to live under that? But God is pursuing a means that he can be with his people and his people can be with him. Now, he took that covenant, that written covenant, and they put it into a box, a gold box, a really pretty gold box called the Ark of the... Are we starting to make some connections now? The Ark of the Covenant. Now, on top of the Ark was the golden lid, and the lid was called the mercy seat. And on this golden lid, they fashioned golden angels and their wings were stretched towards each other. And it was called the mercy seat because they recognized it symbolically as the throne that God sat on. As in his throne was established on the covenant. As in, God grants mercy from his covenant so his people can be near him. That is what he established his throne on. And his presence, his very manifested presence, would dwell between the wings of these two angels. And they took it. Remember, it couldn't be, God's presence couldn't be near unholy people because they'd they'd die. So they took it and they put it in a place called the holiest of holy places. And it was this internal kind of room inside the temple. And only one man could go one time a year. And that was the high priest. And he had to go through all these cleansing rituals The rituals don't do anything, but they help him get his mind right and his heart right before God, that he would be pure, because if he was to enter into the Holy of Holies and he was impure or sinful, he would die. 
So they would attach bells to the hem of his garment. If they heard the bell jingle, funk, they could pull him out with a rope. God don't play with sin. And yet, he is going out of his way to establish a way for his people to be near him. And once a year, when that high priest would go in there, he went in there on purpose, and it was on the Day of Atonement, the day that God would remove the sins of the entire nation, car blanche, and that priest would give a sacrifice for the whole nation. Follow me, I'm going somewhere here. He would give sacrifices for the whole nation. And he would take the blood of that sacrifice into the holy of, holiest of holy places. And he would splatter the blood of this animal that died as a substitute for the people of the nation on the mercy seat. And God would recognize it as a forgiveness of their sins. So that they could be with him and have relationship. Hold that in your mind as we read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 through 22. The writer of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah 31, where God says, I'm going to establish a new covenant, newer than the Sinai covenant that Dom just took a long time explaining. Are you following me? Let's read it. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in there. Do I have... Right? So not in a box, not on stone, not contained way back in the Holy of Holies where only one person gets to go. It's going to be on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. There's going to be forgiveness through this covenant, but not I'm going to forget it for a year. Or until the next time they sin, this is a permanent forgiveness of sins through this new covenant. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any need for an offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we have confidence that we can go where once only one man could go. And after a ton of rituals, we have confidence that we can go in there. How? By the blood of an animal, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. The division between the Holy of Holies and everything else was this thick curtain that was several phone books thick. And when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain in the temple ripped, not from the bottom like it frayed, but from the top down. And it signified something. It signified that God's manifest presence was no longer in a little room, hovering over a box. God's presence was now with his people. No longer sitting on a mercy seat, but now sitting on the thrones of his people's hearts. Are you still with me? By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, That is, through his flesh, the flesh of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. Not the box, but it's Christ's blood that sprinkles our hearts clean because here is the place that God will dwell in his manifest presence. Isn't that beautiful? Clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
God's manifest presence would be with his people. Why did God do all of this? Why did he go to such great lengths as to send his son to die for us? Consider this statement. My son and I are getting closer as he gets older. Think about that for a second. Is that on the screen? Sweet. Sorry about this thing. I like the other one. It's like thin, you know. Consider what that means. Now, does this mean that when he was younger, he was made to sleep in a tent outside in the yard? And as he gets older, it's like, hey, welcome to the house now. No, it's, it's not a statement of proximity. It's not that we were 30 feet away, now we're 10 feet away, and maybe someday we'll be three feet away. This is a statement about relationship. They may have lived together every day of their lives, but what the father means, and I'm quoting A.W. Tozer, is that his son is getting to know him, pay attention, getting to know him more intimately with now deeper understanding. To go from a child to a young man, there is a deeper understanding between them. The barriers in thought and feeling are disappearing, and they are becoming more united in mind and heart. This is God's desire for us, that we would be united with him in mind and heart. And all those barriers, the barriers of sin, would be peeled away. That is the point of why he sent Jesus. Why God himself stepped into flesh to be nailed to a cross for our sin. To break down those barriers and so we could be united in mind and heart. Bug. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I'll put it on a trophy on my wall. How many times I've heard a student say something like, yeah, so I gave my life to Jesus. You know, I think I did. But I don't feel any different. Maybe some of you guys felt that way. Maybe some of you feel that way right now. Like, I, just, I don't feel any different. And I want you to imagine that you're on a boat at the dock. Anybody here have a parent who owns a boat? Some of y'all? Awesome. You're on a boat at the dock. Good. We, you can relate. And you're back in the stern of the boat, and you just cast off the mooring line. And the boat is that, that foot from dock. I don't know about you, but if the boat hits the dock, it's like, oh no, it's going to spider the pain. Ah. But the, foot, the boat, you've thrown off the line, you're a foot from the bank, and you're looking out going, the scenery is exactly the same. It doesn't look any different. And I'm challenging you tonight that instead of looking back off the boat, that you'll turn around and you'll go to the front of the boat and you'll look out This is where the Lord can take me. And if we will surrender our lives to him, if we will be obedient to him, if we'll let him guide, I promise you, if you will allow him to be the savior of your life, there will come a time that you'll look back and you won't see the shore anymore. You won't see who you used to be anymore. So many of those lifestyle things that used to be a part of your identity, those have fallen off. It's not a battle of just, I'm just going to fight sin. I'm going to fight sin. No, we put our eyes on Jesus. We let him lead. And we look back and realize that stuff now is history. If you will allow. No, let's make this an active term. If you will pursue a real and living God 
who was willing to pay such a price for the value of you. I promise you, you will look back and everything will be different. This is a lifelong process. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, where do we draw near to him? This is where we get traction for our theme. John 6, 63, the second half of the verse says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. These are the words recorded for us. They are spirit and life. Let's, let's open the pizza box of God's word from the right direction, right side up tonight. The purpose of the Bible is to glorify God and to reveal him so we can know him. And it's never been about us. So I've got one tip for you tonight. And if you can grab onto this one tip for the rest of your life, it will revolutionize how you read the Bible. You will grow as a Christian so much faster. In fact, it was really cool because Elijah and I had a great conversation about this. He didn't even know we were talking about this. Love you, Elijah. And it is this, that when we read the Bible... We are reading for the author's intent. We are reading to learn what the author is trying to say, not what I think it means. Do you see the difference? Actually, there's, a, there's fancy words. The fancy word for trying to learn what, what the author is saying is called exegesis. Not Jesus like, you know, Jesus, but it's like spelled with a G. Is it up there? Yeah, there we go, exegesis. Hey, look, this is so cool. I can walk back here. And then... Trying to read the Bible for what it means to you is called eisegesis. Eisegesis. This is a huge difference between these two terms. The author was writing to a specific audience with a specific purpose. And that message is unchanging today. Because if the author is writing the words of God, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then his word remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. I like the way the Handbook of Christian Apologetics puts it. It says that we might be tempted to understand the author's mind, pay attention, through the colored eyeglasses of our own worldview, assumptions, beliefs, categories, ideologies, or prejudices. The author is trying to communicate something new to you, something you did not know before. Your job is to receive it intact as fairly and objectively as possible. So we need to stop asking the question. And, we, and I'll be honest. I think we accidentally train people this. We're like, hey, let's open the Bible. Let's go around the circle and everyone say what it means to them. And we have suggested that there is not a concrete, static, enduring meaning that we are all supposed to recognize in it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to stop asking, what does this mean to me? And start asking, what is the author saying to me, capital A, author, saying to me. Yes, it is God's word. Yes, he speaks through it. And yes, God's word deals with every aspect of life that we need for living in the world and living for godliness. So God doesn't need to change the meaning of what you're reading at the moment to fit your life at the moment. Are you following me? I can't tell if you are or not. Yes? Awesome. Thank you, leaders. Glad you all are here with me. If we were to do that, what it means, 
Get this. Listen to how scary this is. If we're all just doing eisegesis, that means that any scripture can mean something different to different people at different times. Isn't that terrifying? Think about how scary that is. How disunifying would that be within the body of Christ? How easily could we stumble into heresy? How tempting would it be to make it say what we want it to say so we can do what we want it to do? I told you God said you were supposed to date me. Yep. I've got, I've got 20 testimonies of people, of teenagers doing that. If we make it say what we want it to say, what an avoidance to God teaching us something that we don't want to hear. Isn't this just a remixing of Christianity to be our own convenient religion? If all we're searching for is what it means to me, means to you? No, no, no. We are looking at God's word for what God is saying. And you should be able to read the same passage as me. And if we're both pursuing exegesis, guess what? We're going to have agreement. Recognizing God's word. If you don't overlook what the author is saying, ooh, ooh. Whenever we overlook what God is saying for what we are saying, we are rivaling God for who the Bible is about. We are taking the telescope of Scripture that is pointed at God for us to see Him, and we are turning this thing around so that it's now pointed at me. We now become the God's of the Bible because it's all about me. No, scripture has two purposes to glorify God and to reveal him for us to know him. Most of the time it's innocent, but all the time it's self-centered. That's opening the pizza box upside down. You follow me? Let me give you a couple examples. Real, real life example, and this is just silly and fun and, and makes me laugh. So we'll go with that. Imagine you're at a restaurant and you're sitting next to a table of a couple that's on a first date. Right? And you're, you're yes, you're eavesdropping. You know, yes, you eavesdrop sometimes when it's interesting sounding. So you're listening in and you hear the girl, because this is the first date. This is where you try to get to know each other. What common ground do you have? And you hear the girl say something like, you know, really, I'm just kind of adventurous. I enjoy new experiences. I like to travel to new places and meet new people. Uh, I I just like to, uh, to be spontaneous. And the guy switches into eisegesis mode, not exegesis, he switches into eisegesis mode, and he says, so what you're saying is you want to go to bed right now. He has an opportunity to get to know her to maybe create a really cool date for her based on what she said because he's learning her personality, learning how to treat her in a way that she appreciates, but all he's chosen to hear is what he wants to hear. That's eisegesis. Let me give you a biblical example. Maybe you read, or I do, or anybody, 
I'm guilty of this. I'm challenging you because it's an area that I'm having to grow in. Let's say we open the Bible and we read Jesus saying, love your enemies. And you say to yourself, what does this mean to me? Well, what it means to me is the best way I can love my enemies is to avoid them so I don't tell them what I really want to tell them. Now, if we look at the context, Jesus is saying, pray for them. Do good to them. Remember the neighbor story of the Good Samaritan? Cross the road to your enemy to love them. You see the difference there? One actually challenges us. One is actually God washing us with the water of his word, chiseling away at our selfishness, and the other is just what I wanted to hear. I'm challenging you to read scripture to understand what the author is trying to say. When we do, we glorify God and we get to know him. The ways that we can please him. The ways we can be obedient. The ways we can get to know him through what he has revealed. And when we do, we're drawing close to him who has already made the way for us through Jesus. I love this story. It's almost like something that many, many kids go through. There was a junior high student, and he worked at a store. And before he left the store one night, he stole six softballs. I don't know why. Six. Where do you hide six softballs? And so he stuffed them in the back of a drawer, and and lo and behold, he got caught. And his dad did exactly what you're already planning and thinking. His dad took him back to the store to confront his manager and apologize. Not only that, his dad stayed in the car and told him to get out and go do it as a man alone. And when he went in, he confessed, he apologized, and his manager fired him on the spot. And so, shoulders slumped, he comes back out and climbs into the passenger seat with his dad. And they take off for this long, quiet ride home. And his dad took an opportunity to begin to build his son back up again. And he reminded him, he said, son, every time you compromise your character, you're going to get fired. But if you don't get fired, you've lost so much more. You've lost your self-respect. You've lost your integrity. And then his father went a step further because his father knew his son. And he knew that his son was so embarrassed and scared that maybe his friends might find out that this had happened. And his father went the extra mile and said, but what happened today will stay between us. And the young man, having grown old, says that his dad took that promise to the grave with him. So his dad disciplined. His dad taught. His dad encouraged Something special happened through this event. A father and a son got closer. If we will allow God's word to discipline, to teach, to encourage, something beautiful is going to happen. The God who has already gone incredible distances for us to know him will call us And those boundaries and those hindrances will melt away and we'll start having a one mind and one heart with our Heavenly Father that loves us so much and we will grow together in relationship.
here are some random miscellaneous tips for your Bible study. And as you go and do Bible studies by yourself. And I know some, some of them sound silly, but I'm telling you as a youth pastor, these are common. First of all, find a Bible translation you understand. If you can't read Old King James, kiss that Bible and buy another one. Find a Bible that you can read that makes sense to you. Second of all, if you're beginning your adventure of reading through the Bible, don't start in Revelation. I know it's interesting. It draws you with its mystery. But Revelation is based on the rest of the Bible. And if you haven't read everything else, then it's going to be a total loss. And most of the people that have read the whole Bible are still kind of hazy and lost. Start somewhere else. You also may not want to begin in Genesis either, because it's really interesting for Genesis and most of Exodus, and then all of a sudden you hit this weird law stuff, which actually we talked about tonight with the Holy of Holies and the the Ark of the Covenant, and then people just bail when they hit that stuff. I would recommend starting with the gospel. Start learning about Jesus first, if if this is going to be your first Bible study. Don't do the thing where you're like, I'm going to open it at a random place, and that's going to be God. All right. Don't do that. Because then what are you going to do? I'm going to figure out how I apply this verse to my situation right now. What does this verse mean to me? Do you see what I mean? So if you're going to begin reading, begin at the beginning of a book. Begin at the beginning of Mark or Colossians or John. Begin at the beginning of a book so you can begin to understand what is the author trying to say with this book. What is the main theme and the main purpose of the author? Because everything, once you figure out that theme, is pointed back to it. To learn what is being told through it. Try to ignore chapter breaks. Sometimes chapter breaks are the worst thing because it hasn't completed the thought. And tomorrow you begin at at the beginning of the chapter, but you missed all the context of the chapter before. So try to read the Bible in in sections of thought instead of just following a different chapter. And just as a crash course, we did this at the first night. If you want to navigate your Bible, do you have your Bibles here? Anybody? You have your Bibles? Sweet, sweet. If you want to navigate your Bible quickly, here's what you can do. If you cut your Bible in half-ish, okay, this also depends that you don't have a long commentary in the back. But if your Bible is Genesis to Revelation and you cut it in half, you're going to land probably in Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, somewhere in there. Now, on the left side, you have the Pentateuch, which is all the law, and you have all the history of the Bible, all the way through Second Chronicles. That's the story of the Old Testament. Now, on the other side, you have all the prophetic writings, and then in the last quarter, back here, you have the Gospels. And then the last eighth, back here, is all the letters that teach us how to live as we follow Jesus. So that's how you break it in half. And then the second half in half, that last quarter is the New Testament. If you broke the New Testament in half, you have the four Gospels on one side, and you have the letters on the other side. Cool. Hope that helps somebody. When you start spending time with the Lord, these are principles. You don't have to follow them, but they're super helpful if you want to at least experiment with them and then morph off of that. I recommend, if you spend time with the Lord, have some prayer, some Bible study, and some meditation. And this is kind of the basic breakdown. And I'll be fast because I want you to go to have Bible studies. In your prayer, I love the acronym ACTS. A-C-T-S. A-C-T-S. And it stands for adoration, which is worship. You're not involved in this. It is just you telling God how awesome he is. Recognizing how high and mighty he is. That he is holy. That he is worthy of all praise. And it's just adoration. 
The second thing is confession. That's where we turn our attention on ourselves. And we recognize ourselves in the light of who God is. And we repent. We confess and we repent before God our sin. Then we turn to thanks for all that God has done. And that's where you thank him for the many, many things. Boy, that's a long list. And then finally, supplication. Here are my prayer requests. Here are my needs, Lord. Here are the people that I'm concerned about. And those are our prayer requests. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanks, supplication. For your Bible study, an easy way to break that up is SOAPS, S-O-A-P-S, Scripture. This is where you read the Scripture. You dig into it. You ask, what is the author trying to tell me? How is he trying to tell me this? Why is he telling me this in this way? What do I learn about God from these Scriptures? Because the purpose of the Bible is to... And to reveal himself so we can know him. Perfect. For the two of you that answered. The O is observation. This is where you immerse yourself in it. Does it make any connections with anywhere else in the Bible? What am I supposed to learn? Okay, I kind of blended scripture and observation together. Then A, application. How can I apply what I'm reading? Jesus in John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. I love how one theologian, Bonhoeffer, quotes it. He says, faith and obedience go hand in hand. If someone says they have lost their faith, I tell them they have stopped being obedient. Oh, man, that kicks me. Scripture, observation, application, then prayer. Pray the scripture back to them. Pray what you've learned. Pray about how you can apply it and who you can talk with about it. And finally, share it. Come up with a simple, clear way that you can just have a conversation about something cool that you read today. Then finally, meditation. So prayer, Bible study, meditation. This is where you're just quiet and still. You're listening for the Holy Spirit to speak. You give him a chance to do some talking here. Let him move in your heart and open up what you've read and what you've studied. And as a part of meditation, journaling is so powerful. You can journal what you're thankful for, a prayer request. And it's so cool to check out your prayer requests from last year to see what God has done. You can write down the main truth of what you learned in your study, and you can write down what God is speaking to you. If you want to study a little bit more and to have a how to have a Bible study, I ask you the question, what are the principles for studying different genres of biblical literature? This thing is full of poetry, history, gospel, law, theology. How do we study each of these uniquely? Because you're not going to study poetry the same way you'll study history. So I go, I go check it out. It's pretty cool stuff. All right, recap. The Bible has two purposes, to glorify God and reveal him to us. Number two, through Jesus, we can have a relationship with a known God. We must read the Bible to understand the author's intent, exegesis. When we do, we learn what he's revealed and we grow closer to him. Prayer, ACTS, study, SOAPS, and meditation. Challenge one, I challenge you for three days, Maybe beginning tonight or tomorrow, for three days, model every prayer after the ACTS. It doesn't have to be long. It could be a a four-sentence prayer. But where your prayer begins with, how awesome God is. Lord, you are awesome and worthy. Holy is your name in all the earth. Lord, I pray, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for, for this thought. Forgive me for this thing. Lord, thank you so much for my family. Thank you for the many blessings you've given me. Thank you for the school that I have. Thank you that I have clean water. Thank you for my health. And Lord, I pray, I pray for my mom who's sick right now, that you'll heal her. 
Lord, help me to grow in wisdom. Help me to know what to do in this situation. It's just sticky. Lord, I pray for this friend that doesn't know you. Lord, you're awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, how long did that take? And yet you prayed through adoration, confession, thanks, and supplication. For three days, where we model our prayers after it. And maybe, just maybe, it'll stick with you. And then challenge number two, have a full-on, legit Bible study this week that includes a short journal entry. Heavenly Father, you are good, and I love that you would pursue us. Lord, bless all of our students in their Bible studies. Let them begin to see you in a fuller light. We love you, Lord, and we give you all ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.